Welcome back to the second episode of our VFX Lounge. We're here with Harrison Moling, who used to be a TA here, but now an FX artist, FX TV actually, at Dineng. So first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing good. It's good to be back at Lost Boys. I love this place. I actually miss it a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's are you just me. saying that? No, no. I do. <laughs> I mean, I needed a bit of a break for the future. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah you it's, are. Been, it's been good. I miss, I miss hanging out with the guys. And I was actually just having a really interesting conversation the other night about mm-hmm. uh, the f- finding fulfillment in my job and how different it is when I worked here as a right. teacher or instructor um, mm-hmm. versus as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, just such a different day to day, you know? Yeah. Like, what kind of fulfillment do you have now? Because you obviously have different, like you just mentioned, there's different types of fulfillment, right? Yeah. Uh, what's the difference that you're kind of getting right now? Uh, I guess now, so, you know, it's weird because there's just this weird sense where you kind of seek validation as an artist. Mm-hmm. You kind of can't, can't escape that because every day you just, your work is getting reviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when I was teaching here, I guess like just seeing the students learn things, which they're going to do with or without me, it was, it was a really easy way to feel like I was having an impact and that I was doing a good job. Right. Because the progress was... There was sort of, there's no end in sight when you're teaching someone. You can just keep teaching them and working alongside them to learn and learn and learn. But when you've got a shot, the shot has to be done. And, you know, if you nail the shot first go, you get this amazing feeling of like, whoa, awesome. That's this little, you know, burst of serotonin or some sort of reward center in the brain that goes off. And and then on the flip side, if you're really struggling with a shot and you're just getting kickbacks and notes and you just can't really nail it or you can't bring it to life like the director or the supervisor wants, it kind of has an inverse effect and, and it can play on your mind a little bit. Right. I didn't really feel that much. Uh, I mean, there was times where I had maybe a bit of a bad lecture, but the students are gonna just probably laugh that off. And, you know, I, was, I had a very friendly vibe with them. Yeah. Um, it was just, I mean, just like Lost Boys in general has a bit of a family feeling to it, you know, whereas DNEG is 7,000 employees mm. worldwide and Huge, massive, yeah. Even though it, they break it down into small teams, and there is a good team mentality. Right. And um, when I heard that they had over six thousand five hundred employees, mm-hmm. I was like, "What the hell? How? Like, that's a lot globally, right?" Yeah, I think I don't know the exact numbers. But I think it's about five hundred yeah. around about in in Vancouver. Uh, but it's crazy because you know, I speak to people all the time, and they're like, "Oh, my friend works at DNA. Do you know so and so?" And it's just like. There's no way. Yeah. Unless they do my exact job. Yeah. Uh, there's it's probably no so way. so fast, right? Like, you, like, some people might not know, but you were working here for about two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, on and off uh, from the beginning, and then you came back for two years. So going from that to now, going to Dina, you've been there about three, four months now almost. The scale has grown exponentially, right? Because we are of a, a kind of a modern talk shop with yeah. like a small staff, and now you're going to a very big team. How was that transition for you? Like, how did that feel? At the start, it was really confusing because uh, when I was here, I felt like I had eyes on a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I kind of had to track the students' progress. I had to keep an eye on the technical side of things, making sure that mm-hmm. between uh, myself, Mark, and Kyle, just trying to distribute, you know, basically putting out fires left, right, and center. And then mm-hmm. when I started at DNEG, it was very gentle, really good. They got a very, very good um, new starters program. And 
some weird part of me was like, okay, where I need to like search for all these fires to put out. Mm-hmm. But they've made it so that you know all different skill levels are going right. to be starting at the same time or maybe on the same week. Or they've sort of done a um, one size fits all at least per department, easing into D- life of DNA. So it was a bit strange because my brain it took it took a month or two for me to uh, just realize oh I don't need to look for fires to put out. I don't need to be responsible for anything other than whatever I've been assigned. Right, because you're, you're, the position that you were as a teacher, as an instructor, was there's always a problem going on or there's yeah. something that a student is going to require. But now you are in a position that is a bit more personal responsibility, I'm assuming, right? Like, yeah. is that kind of what you're getting at right now? Yeah, it's nice, especially working from home because I get given, say, two, three shots mm-hmm. uh, on the start, the start of the week. And I'll have a bit of a chat with my lead on my soup, and that's really cool, just to be able to break it down. And and then it is really much just me by myself with my machine, and I don't I don't have you know people knocking on the door with problems and and trying to navigate all these different things at once. I, I realized that I actually kind of enjoyed that, like that I'm pretty chaotic in general. Right. I'm pretty intense guy. <laughs> so I think we all kind of know that in the yeah. office. <laughs> so I don't know. Life here was I could it kind of match my speed, mm-hmm. but things do get intense as an artist I guess uh, sometimes the shots are really challenging and things like that but the, the last I started in January so it had been like four or five months now it's been it's been great like I haven't felt overwhelmed or anything um, but yeah the transition was was tricky just to realize that uh, you know <clears throat> just because I'm not doing it an insane amount of all these multitasking like Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. There's a massive net that's going to catch me if I fall kind of thing. That's good. It didn't support network. Yeah. Like available for you, right? Yeah, definitely. So let's go back a little bit and get to know how you got to DNIT. Like there, obviously you went through a journey, right? You're not originally from Canada and you're from Australia. Can you tell me a little bit about how you ended up here and did you even see yourself ending up here? So I guess I I graduated in 2014 from my college. Academy of Interactive Entertainment in Sydney and uh, throughout the, that course my instructors they mentioned Vancouver a few times uh, mostly just hey, if you guys really want to go get some great skills and you know go to where the action is then Vancouver is the place to be right now um, and that's still the case today eight years later there's a pretty bustling industry here so in the back of my mind I thought you know once I once I figure out exactly what I want to do in this industry I guess Canada could be the move um, but I knew at that time when I graduated in 2014, I I didn't want to go and work 40 hours, 60 hours a week. I, I wasn't ready for that. I, I did my studies. I found my passion and I just wanted to go save up some cash and, and travel. So that's kind of what I did for a couple of years, which was great. It was awesome seeing the world. And um, the only downside was that I my skills depreciated as they do if you, if you stop working with, within your software or even just watching the industry and keeping up with the constantly fast-paced evolving nature of VFX you kind of your skills they don't hold up that well a few years later especially I was somewhat of a generalist so I found myself in a tricky spot 2016 um, when I'd done a couple of years of jumping around island hopping that kind of thing and couldn't really find a job so luckily I, I trained up a little bit and uh, started using 3ds max I got an architecture job which was which was great but that only lasted so long until I wanted to travel again. So clearly, I didn't I didn't scratch that itch fully. <laughs> um, so then I found myself going, you know what? Maybe if I just put myself 
where the work is and just have a buy invest in a really good laptop train up do tutorials you know at the same time as traveling kind of combine my worlds mm -hmm. do that living living abroad thing at the same time as trying to you know evolve my career so that led me to move here in 2017 right and that just makes me think of something that one other person has told me is that one of the I forgot their name, but when I was talking to them, they basically said that they take about five, six months to work on their contract or work on whatever project they have, and then afterwards travel for a bit and then come back about two, three months later. It is that like one of the most um, attractive selling points of visual effects as an artist for you, maybe? Like, is that kind of something that you're looking forward to uh, down the line? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, working as a, a Houdini effects CD generally when you have crunch time you'll be doing it's it's pretty normal to do 60 hours plus mm -hmm. in a week and that overtime especially with canadian laws like it's some pretty nice paychecks so i think it makes sense if you've had several months of quite intense work mm -hmm. um to take some time off and, and go enjoy yourself and he you know that time's likely most of it's going to be unpaid but uh, i think that the salary and the overtime kind of accounts for that and it for sure is a very attractive part of of this that's of this job and right. the industry. Um, I am yet to experience that fully. I've yeah. kind of always done it with just save as much as I can and then and then quit my job and dive into the deep end, not okay. knowing where I'm going to land. Right. Um, but you do that enough times and you get comfortable knowing that you, you'll land you'll land on your feet. Yeah. Um, and also, like I said, like like at USA actually, because of the way the industry moves and like you can take that time off and then return. As long as you keep your skills up to date, because you said yeah. your skills will depreciate if you don't, you know, keep up with it. But there is one thing that you mentioned earlier that I think was something I'd like to kind of move this transition towards is generalist, right? You started out as a generalist and then you didn't really know kind of the focal focus that you wanted to take. When did you realize that you wanted to go towards effects? I mean, honestly, getting this job at Lost Boys, which was, you know, I can get to that story in a minute. It's pretty, pretty funny uh, coincidence. I uh, think almost everybody has a very interesting story on how they ended up at Lost Boys. Both you and yeah. I have a very interesting story. In fact, I applied to your job. Yeah, that's right. Then fine. you got your job. Anyway, we can get well, into I that later. <laughs> I went home to Australia, yeah. and the job opened up, and you applied for the job, but then I came back, and you ended up in marketing. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. how those things work out but anyway. honestly I'm learning that at least with you know I, I, I interface mostly with effects artists mm. and Houdini artists and I at like the Dune Awards party recently I asked mm. a few people how did you start on this journey and everyone's with such a different answer you know I was used to just being like oh I came to Lost Boys and I learned Houdini and then I entered the field no. but Lost Boys is pretty small with small classes so all of the other thousands tens of thousands of effects artists in the world you know if they didn't go to Lost Boys well how do they learn Houdini how did they end up finding this awesome software and um, and finding a career working with the software and it's it's fascinating because you know the reason Lost Boys exists and does so well is because there really isn't a lot of until recently that there hasn't been a lot of resources to learn this software it's when I studied, for instance, uh, 2013, 2014, so it's a little little while ago, I was just told, we, someone put their hand up and said, are we going to learn Houdini? Um, I heard that's really good for water and fire and all mm -hmm. of the, all the cool. stuff we love to see, yeah. you know, the really explosive visual effects. Mm -hmm. And they basically said, no, that's that's for later in your career. You, we, we're going to stick with the basics and you're going to start as a junior and you're going to learn Maya 
or, or whatever. Mm. Um, and it's just funny because they just sidestepped that question. And I, I honestly never thought about it until four years, three or four years later when I discovered Lost Boys. Um, and to answer your early question, how did I sort of end up here? Um, I, I don't, it was just a happy accident, but at the same time, I always had, uh, I was always pretty savvy with maths and I wouldn't say programming, that's the wrong way to put it, but for instance, when I was a teenager, like, I really loved spreadsheets because you could put these cool little functions yeah. in there and it was procedural, right? Like, you put a sum at the bottom of the spreadsheet and you start putting in, your, even if you're just budgeting your yeah. <laughs> savings from your high school it's you know, satisfying. Job. Yeah. It feels good, and once you, you know, that's the I, that would probably be the origins of where I've got to is just these weird little uh, pieces of knowledge that I've gained throughout different softwares and mm -hmm. even something as simple as Excel spreadsheets, through to uh, you know when I was working in 3ds Max and we would get a big project, um, the architectural project, and we had to do like Parklands. Mm -hmm. um, I my favorite part of that was developing some tools to be able to just with one brushstroke paint a forest of different trees. So I really digged, you know, MaxScript, which was the scripting language inside 3ds Max. And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know that what I was doing. I was just like, oh, this is awesome. We can make it faster if we do this. Mm -hmm. Even if it was just a plugin that I downloaded, someone else had done the work for me. What I really resonated with was letting the computer do the work. And right. I think that's what Houdini kind of is. Like, yeah. I don't, we don't make the explosions or the water simulations, that's the software. We kind of just guide enough data for it to spit out some really good looking effects. And, you know, I tried to be a modeler. Uh, I, I thought, oh, I'm gonna be a 3D modeler. And then I just found out like, wow, you have to be so insanely good. <laughs> uh, and that's just like out of reach. Quite frankly, I just wasn't, I didn't spend the time to get good enough at mm. modeling or animating or right. rigging or any of the, areas of the pipeline I didn't even know what effects was really yeah. it was this crazy world for seniors like we were literally told that, you know you learn that after doing 10 years of Maya yeah. then you pick up Houdini do you think that's almost like gatekeeping like they're trying to like not allow you to get that information at all at the time I mean <laughs> like <laughs> sort of. considering it was my teacher that said it and having become somewhat of a teacher here at yeah. Lost Boys I think what was happening and I know this because this is what I do when I can't figure out the answer to a question is just basically saying, I don't know how to teach you that. So I'm going to come up with a statement that <laughs> yeah, doesn't reflect yeah, yeah. fully on me. There's very few Houdini instructors in the world. And That's true. Most visual effects colleges that do teach Maya or 3ds Max or one of the other, you know, more generalist softwares, there's a good chance they're not proficient in Houdini. So unless they build an entire curriculum specifically for, for Houdini, like Lost Boys has mm -hmm. done, you know, it's, it's a really hard like, question like, to answer. Right. Um, so I kind of get why that would that gatekeeping would exist yeah. because it's just few, very few people that uh, that fit into the the category of skilled in Houdini mm -hmm. and a teacher. It's a rare breed. Right. And I find that like most people, like even your story resembles a lot of people in the industry. They all didn't know that they were going to end up there. Almost like there's a lot of people who always knew that. It's, it's almost like it's been discovered. Like, that's what you said. It was a happy coincidence that it happened is because a lot of us who end up in the visual effects industry um, didn't know the visual effects industry existed. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that even though they had this inkling, whether with the software that they were playing with, yeah. they found like that one niche inside that software that is extremely good, whether it's Nuke or whether it's Houdini or any of these softwares. Oh, that is an actual job that like actual yeah. job that I can do 
and that's how a lot of people end up here because they don't have like i said a lot of schools don't have the programs like that specific to houdini right Yeah, I think I talk, I talk to people all the time that, you know, I, try, I actually try and surround myself as much as possible with non-VFX people because mm-hmm. eventually you get really sick of talking about the same stuff, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of ironic because we're sitting here on a <laughs> But I, it, I'm always amazed at how fascinated people are with learning about, about visual effects, even mm-hmm. if they're in, you know, they could be waiting tables or they could be an accountant or whatever. Yeah. Um, they, 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 everyone watches these movies. They love yeah. it. And if they get to learn a little bit of an insight into how it's done, like, Everyone's quite fascinated with that journey, and, and I've had friends that are now starting to pick up little tutorials that I send them, and maybe soon they'll be in the industry. It's you know, it's it's growing so much. I mean, yeah, there's movies, TV shows, almost every month. Like yeah. there's something new that's happening, and there's no way that I don't think anyone in like our world currently, especially in Canada, let's say Vancouver just specifically, have been exposed to movies. You know, movies, TV shows, we're bombarded by that kind of content all the time. Yeah. There's no way to avoid visual effects being part of a show, right? Yeah. There's at least some element of visual effects going on in right. the show. Even even shows that you don't think have any VFX, like uh, yeah. what was that? What was that Korean film? Parasite. Parasite. There that, was so that, many. You look at the VFX artists at the end of that movie. There's hundreds. Yeah. And it's like, wait, I didn't see any explosions. Yeah. I didn't see any like buildings being destroyed exactly but then it was like all those things like the set was completely set yeah, yeah right and like a whole bunch of stuff a lot of things that were going on in the behind the scenes that people don't understand and even for my, myself who didn't know about the visual effects industry right mm-hmm. i think it's common for a lot of people to believe i as ridiculous as it now for me to say this now that i know but people believe that visual effects is done by like or yeah. like done by like one person like it's pretty it's, rare that it's done that way i mean exactly extremely rare now yeah. but like the that perception it makes it seem as though becoming a visual effects artist is super hard as well almost yeah. does that make sense because it's like only that one person can do it but a large team like even just one studio yours is yeah. seven thousand people in that area right yeah you know i think that the hardest part is like people see the final product mm-hmm. and it's unless there's some good resources for them to know the hundred different roles mm-hmm. that produced that one effect yeah that they just they do think you know if they if they see anything that's being shown on this screen they just think oh, okay so the one artist made that and then another yeah, made yeah. that, and it's just not the way that works mm-hmm. it'd be really cool if there was a um like a really fun short documentary that just kind of explained this is what modeling is. Yeah. And this is the job of a modeler. Yeah. All the way through to like the different departments. Each specific pipeline area, right? Yeah, because... Department. Like, I'm only really learning that properly in the yeah. pipeline now that I'm now that I'm in a studio. Mm-hmm. Like, here at Lost Boys, I learned a lot just because I w- was surrounded by a lot of mm-hmm. very experienced staff and they could answer a lot of my questions, which was great. Um, but man, there's so many jobs within this industry that I just never knew existed. Yeah. Um, I think it's... A- because I think yeah. even people are getting even more specific about each part, each yeah. role, each department. It's getting compartmentalized down to the tiny. Yeah, things. even the little detail. Like yeah. I recently, I saw someone who was like a pyro specialist. Or yeah, or like they're just specifically pyro effects, right? And I think that's getting more and more down the line. Maybe is that because of development of software or just the way the industry is working? Right? Just becoming. Yeah. I guess it just comes down to experience. Like mm-hmm. when you've got a crazy piece of software like Houdini, you'll have someone that's just obsessed with fire, or something. <laughs> and they'll they'll just become the fire guy. Yeah, which, 
which if they enjoy it and they dig it, then they're going to love that. But I think that that could be a deterrent for some people entering this industry. Like, I remember one of my old em- employer at the at that architecture gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, I was talking to him. I was, I was sort of saying like, oh man, I really want to go work on films. I think I'm going to leave soon, blah, blah, blah. And he was trying to talk me out of it because he's like, you're going to go work at a studio and you're going to do one tiny little, you know, 0.1% mm-hmm. of, of a sequence in a huge movie. And it's, you think it's going to be really fun and all that stuff. Um, but I think that a lot of people get deterred when they realize, oh man, I'm only going to be responsible for such a tiny little element in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's for sure, that can sometimes get you a little down if you're spending two, three days on a task that when you see the final product, you're like, there's my, oh, okay. <laughs> it's kind of just yeah. like that. But at the same time, you know, I think I'm really lucky and anyone who's working in Houdini is really lucky because we get all sorts of stuff. Like I mm-hmm. think we have... I'm biased, obviously, but I think we have the best job in the industry mm. because... Why do you say that? Because, you know, Houdini is... It, it's got no limits. So if they need uh, a portal to explode open from somewhere or under the ocean or some sort of underwater magical bomb or all these things that it's kind of like the Maya guys or all of the other teams are like, well, that's that's an effects task. Mm-hmm. Then it goes to effects and we just sort of have to sit down and go, okay, this is 100% possible. Everything is possible within Houdini. We have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So you're not just, you know, uh, modeling a whole bunch of vehicles or, or characters or you're not just texturing or painting a whole lot of different textures on characters. It's, it's, it's not very repetitive. Sometimes it can be. Sometimes you're doing dust for mm-hmm. two months. But it's you can kind of rely on the fact that after that one or two months of doing let's say dust then you're doing some like monster going through the jungle and you're making all the plants move or you could be doing some clouds in the sky and a ship goes through the clouds it's just it's really cool because you never keeps you guessing it keeps you on your feet you never really know what's going to come next Mm. and I I, that's what I love about my job when I get a new shot I don't know what I'm going to have to do Mm. like sometimes I have no idea and Mm. until I get that brief and they're like okay cool there's a giant monster is doing this thing and you need to do this thing because the giant monster smashes through this glass. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, cool. Now I have to figure out what I what I need to brush up on, you know, fracturing glass, for instance. Yeah, um, I almost feel like that sheds a light to the point that there's something that always is interesting about your job. You know what I mean? Because there's always going to be something else. No shot is always going to be the same. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, translate some of your experiences from something that's similar, like you did dust for this one shot, but mm-hmm. there's going to be dust here, but it's a different you know, surrounding different environment, yeah, yeah. different shot entirely. Um, and that kind of keeps it exciting, right? The job yeah. exciting makes you keep going, right? Because I mean, recently just out, like I went out with lunch with staffs and we we're just talking about like repetition of days or like yeah. clockwork stuff. And I think visual effects industry doesn't really have that. I feel like there, of course there is that aspect of, you know, using your time to work on a shot that is very time consuming but time consuming is different than it being interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm still, I, I don't know if I'm a junior or a mid or whatever, uh, <laughs> but I'm still very much new to the industry, mm-hmm. especially as an artist. Uh, so for me, everything's exciting. I'm sure if you spoke to like some veteran that's been doing 15 Might be years- Might a little bit more jaded about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, my 200th explosion. Um, yeah. Whereas if I got an explosion, I'd be so excited mm, about yeah. it. Uh, I'm studying explosions right now, ho- hoping to get some really like fun, traditional like wow effects soon. Um, but yeah, it's definitely different for me every day, and I love it. I love that part of it. You yeah. know. And you talked about that little aspect of only having a short amount of screen time. 
right? Because, like, you know, we're not celebrities. You know, we're yeah. the background people. I only work on a very single shot or very, very small in the grand scheme of things. Something that took you maybe three months to complete, but it's on the show for maybe a minute or less. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I'm just curious, like, what are your feelings about that? Like, what are, what's, what, like, is that something that is a deterrence? Like, oh, that's like, oh man, it's only been there for one minute. Or is this still satisfying to see your finished product on screen, even for like, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Maybe, maybe that was a term before I started doing it. I was like, oh man, even you, I don't work all these long hours for, for very little sort of sense of, of, of contribution. Yeah. Uh, but having having done it for a little little while now, I don't feel that way anymore because it's just so awesome getting to be a part of stuff that inspires me. So far, the projects I've worked on at DNAG have been things that are, are just so much fun, and I can't even believe that I get the opportunity to have any influence at all. Right. You know, maybe it's not the type of thing that, especially you know, until I become a more senior role, mm -hmm. it's not the type of thing that I'm going to be going like, look, I did that, all of that, like. Yeah. But yeah. You know, I think that there's something special about... My favorite form of art is kind of anonymous art. Like, when I go out to that festival in the desert in America where they burn everything. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I love is that you very rarely... It's not about the artist. It's just about the experience of the art. And then mm -hmm. they burn it at the end, so it doesn't even exist afterwards. And so I think being a VFX artist is really cool because you kind of have to take the ego out of it a little bit. Whereas if you're an actor and you've, you know... Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, like yeah. he very much is like owning that, and yeah. the, the whole movie's about him. Mm -hmm. I, I really like that we get to this. Like, definitely, these movies are just not possible without hundreds or thousands, for most movies cases, of thousands of artists doing their tiny little one percent. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm sure that once you do get like that big hero sexy explosion, it probably mm -hmm. feels pretty dense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you spoke a little bit about overtime. And this is something I talked to Amol very briefly about, but I wanted to speak to you maybe on the effects side of things. Of course, we'll get more and more people on the show, but over time, a lot of students that I get to talk to are very intimidated by the ideas of those long hours that you're gonna have to work because there's gotta be crunch hours. You know, you said there might be weekly go 60, 60 hours or yeah. more. And We'll get intimidated by that number, right? Like even yeah. like a lot of people are like sixty hours, like my God. But then obviously you are getting a healthy pay overtime. Hey, but yeah. what what do you think? What is your advice? I guess, or what are your opinions on overtime? Like, how has your experience been with that? I mean, one of the reasons I stayed teaching here for so long is because I loved the hours mm -hmm. and I loved uh, as best as I could when I when the bell rang or whatever and I'd finished up what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I could sort of go, cool, we made progress today. Students learned some stuff. Now I can go home. I can leave work here. And I, I had this fear. Oh my god! If I go into the field and I, you know, I start doing overtime, like it's gonna be really hard if I don't finish my shot. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna just need to keep doing it until mm -hmm. I'm just exhausted and you know burnout or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the reality has been for me very different. I, I had two periods this year that I've had you know one or two weeks of like, I'm gonna need a lot of overtime this week to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And honestly, both of them have been incredible. Like, I absolutely loved the work mm -hmm. that I was doing. The reason I was doing overtime is because the task I had required a lot more responsibility. It wasn't some simple background effect. It was a mm -hmm. bit more on screen, uh, a bit more of a hero effect. And 
I think I just I just took so much pride in it that 10, 12 hours in a day, mm-hmm. it was very rare that I do 12, 10 hour days were mm-hmm. like fine. Like I was almost sad when it was over. So I think it all probably comes down to um, how much you're enjoying it, right? If, if you've got a, if you've got an effect that is just awful and you've got a bad client and they're just being really difficult, man, that's going to suck staring at it for 12 hours, trying to, mm-hmm. trying to cater to someone's needs that seems impossible. Whereas if you've got a really healthy team and a healthy client relationship and mm-hmm. you're really passionate about the project over time, it's, it's just feels like a normal day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm yet to experience super intense crunch time. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen at some stage. I'm anticipating it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've witnessed some of my colleagues who are just like working every Saturday. Sometimes, you know, they'll, sometimes they'll work seven days, mm-hmm. 10, 12 hours a day. And for sure, like we have limits. We, we, no matter who you are, you can't sit in front of a screen and focus intensely for 12 hours a day, every day. Yeah, no, that's too difficult. You'll eventually start to, your mental health will start to go down and, mm-hmm. You got to really make sure that you know take lots of breaks and go for walks and things like that but as i said i'm still relatively new to all this mm-hmm. and i haven't had any sort of super stressful periods yet right. so who knows maybe my my viewpoint will change a little then bit. they'll catch you again in like six months <laughs> and see what you're thinking <laughs> yeah yeah so far it's been an amazing journey like i've loved every minute right and you know the team aspect the, the team that you're with and you said that that is a very important aspect of you know being able to do that kind of over time or doing whatever you are um, exploring or working on a single project and how has your team been so far I mean we can't go into the details but like how big sure. of an impact has like a team been well I've, I've, I've worked on two projects so far and I'm starting my third project next week and they've been very very different so far both mm-hmm. projects First one, much larger team, very big visual effects movie um, that's coming out later this year. I think I can say the names I checked um, because they're on the DNEC website. So we were working on Slumberland earlier this year and there was about 40 effects TDs, or roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was a, that was my first experience and so I didn't really have a frame of reference. It was kind of intense. There was, there was only one or two people in a leadership role for 40 artists. So there was a time crunch, you know, funnel. Yeah. So we had to just kind of get our tasks done. And it was a little bit like I came onto the show halfway through or quite late. Yeah. So it was like, let's get this done. Whereas the second show, um, which is coming out tomorrow, uh, Stranger Things season four, Mm -hmm. I joined the FX team in Montreal and it was two guys, me and one other in Vancouver and five in Montreal. So there's seven. Mm -hmm. We had one, one, one leader leadership role oh, for seven hours. smaller yeah yeah and i mean i don't know if it's just because i'm what i'm used to but i really really liked that i liked being able to interface with my my senior mm-hmm. for up to an hour a day if i needed it because right. you know his job is not his job is to just check on everyone all day mm-hmm. and if these seven people and it's an eight hour day he can realistically with it, having a little bit of break in between he can spend half an hour to an hour he or she um per day with each of us and I don't know I got so much fulfillment out of that and I got really really quite close with my lead and mm-hmm. we had really good back and forth and I loved both shows that I've done so far it's been an amazing experience but but I can say I think that being closer to your team especially your lead mm-hmm. it makes a world of difference I was so excited every morning to have my morning catch up right. whereas there was a little bit of anxiety in the first one maybe it was because i was new yeah or maybe it was just because i knew i only had five to ten minutes Mm. and i had to go oh this this isn't my plan for the day blah 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 blah. Mm. am i doing well yes okay all right cool bye 
Whereas having that hour and being able to be like, oh, I'm thinking about doing it this way and that way and just being able to explore it, I just felt like I had a lot more time and right. a lot more, you know, like a wealth of knowledge to basically lean on. Like a support that yeah. is helping you, like a little mini mentor almost. Like Pretty much, yeah. I felt like I had my own tutor almost. Yeah. Um, and that was definitely available to me since day one. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of like having to bug people. You know, right. no one really wants to to if someone's busy working your senior or your lead any of the leads on the team especially if you're working from home and you've got to message them on zoom or whatever and you just have to bug them it's not a good feeling whereas if someone just calls you Mm -hmm. and and says give it to me like what do you need i'm here for you Mm -hmm. and just makes themselves available that made a huge difference and i I honestly had such a good time on that show um the past month or two has been incredible like As I said, every day I'd literally bounce out of bed because I'm so yeah. excited to go to like work. Great to get to do, I mean, do this job. I had that for sure at Lost Boys when I started mm-hmm. he, here. And I think, you know, you start a new job, you're passionate about yeah. it. Yeah. You, you kind of want to hope that you're getting out of bed going, sweet, I'm like, this is what I was made for. Like, yeah. I'm finally doing what I want. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've, it's weird doing that at home. <laughs> like you're in bed and you literally get out of bed, but you don't go to work. You just take 10 steps. <clears throat> You're excited about that. It's yeah. just a strange feeling. Yeah. And what's that been like? Because, you know, a lot of places are doing either full work from home in this industry or hybrid work. And a lot of people have had different opinions on that. And uh, what's yours, really? How has that affected you? The work from, my like perspective on work from home has changed dramatically since I worked here last end of last year through till now. I one of the reasons why I didn't want to go into the studio work life is because I thought, oh, I'm just going to work from home. I'm a pretty social person. I, I'm going to lose this family feeling at Lost Boys, being able to go to lunch with all of you guys every day. Um, and I'm going to just be by myself. You know, my girlfriend's at work. I'm literally just by myself. And if unless I've got music playing, it's just dead silence, mm-hmm. me and my work. I thought I would hate that. And it was a difficult transition, but now I, I love it. I'm so much more productive. You know, and I don't know where I stand, what I really want. At the moment, we're at the effects department, at least at DNA. We're still working from from home. I think that the studio is trying to push us to get back and bring back the culture. You know, like, I don't know what half my team looks like. <laughs> because half the people don't even put a picture, let yeah. alone their video camera or right. Zoom meetings. I, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, having a nice picture of my face, yeah. clicking the camera on as much as I can. Because I want, when I do meet someone, I don't want it to feel like I mean they're meeting a stranger even though yeah. we might have worked together for a whole year mm-hmm. yeah it's weird it's a weird time because a lot of companies that they've either made the decision you know we're yeah. completely back or we are going to stay working from home forever I know there's several studios that are like we're never going back mm-hmm. DNA being as big as it is and, and the awesome culture at DNA I think they, they want to really hold on to that social factor mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to whatever is going to eventuate um i think that a hybrid workflow would be amazing mm-hmm. now having some i th- they may be working on a booking system right now where you can sort of book a desk mm-hmm. and like oh i'd love to work from the studio wednesday thursday friday this week mm-hmm. or you know like i've got to run some errands in my neighborhoods it's it's gives a lot of flexibility to be able to have the option to work from home i do think hybrid work at work is like a nice balance yeah of the two worlds right and again this is something i was talking uh, our staff earlier at lunch was that I feel like a lot of places, especially this is specifically the visual effects industry, is paying people for the quality of work that they're producing more so than the quality 
all the, the amount of quantity of time that they're mm -hmm. investing in. Yeah. And I think that's a very healthy movement in general. The world hopefully moves more towards that because that way, you, you know, you, like you said, you're getting your work done a lot more efficiently because you know how you work, you know your space, and you aren't like locked into that time. Right? Yeah. Not locked into it. But, but you do use up all that time. But that just maybe that like subconscious level, yeah. it helps you work more efficiently. I think even down to, you feel just feel like you have so much more time. If you yeah. have a one hour lunch break and you're in studio mm -hmm. or you're at your workplace, it's gonna take you 15 minutes to get to the restaurant, then 15 minutes to get your food, yeah. and then 15 minutes to eat your food, and then, oh crap, guys, we're due back now. Yeah. And it's just this really kind of, you don't relax mm -hmm. over lunch, very rarely. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you bring your own food in, you, you go into the rooftop and you eat it in the sun very quietly, you get that relaxation time. But work from home, that one hour all of a sudden feels like three hours because, yeah. you know, as a Houdini artist waiting for things to simulate, you can start chopping your veg or whatever yeah. for dinner. And I, I just feel like, I've gotten a lot more healthy habits back that I kind of felt like I either lost or never developed. Right. You know, like it's, I can, the second I finish work, I can have my runners on and go for a run. Mm -hmm. Whereas there was always, you finish at five. There's a delay. By the time you actually get to do anything at yeah. seven, yeah. two hours, even if it might only take you 10 minutes to get home. Yeah. All those in between moments, you get stuck in traffic, you get home, you need 10 minutes to just, I honestly think that going into a new setting, new environment, mm -hmm. You don't feel subconsciously. You don't feel okay mm -hmm. unless you're extremely familiar with it. Mm -hmm. But but no matter what, even if you are familiar with it, I think it takes about ten minutes to just be like, okay, cool. I'm in a new new environment, mm -hmm. and I need to sort of just feel more comfortable in that environment. Mm -hmm. Working from home is great because as long as you do take those nice short breaks to get out of the house more often, you 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 find your groove. Everyone finds their own way of getting work done. And that's what I'm. That's what like I think kind of leaning towards is because you know it's this idea that you are actually saving a lot of time that yeah. the lag you're getting whether it's driving to work or driving back from work or whatever you're cutting down an immense amount of time just yeah. being in one place now there's obviously cons to being at home with just like the isolation or whatever like not crazy. being having the social <laughs> going a little crazy not having the social aspect but you know once you do like the, the the joke that Don's made while we were coming back from the DX studio, um, all the students were like, "Oh man, I wish I was in studio." And he teased saying, "Like, you won't say that when you have to bus to your work at yeah. six in the morning. You won't say that if you have to bus late, miss your bus, all that kind of stuff." There is those little things that we don't take into consideration that actually do impact our daily to day life a lot, like. For example, I used to bus to work here and it took me an hour and 30 minutes to get here, yeah. and which is just a pain in the ass. But then I got a car and now it's 15 minutes and I feel like I have a lot more time on my hands. Just yeah. even that subtle difference. And I think that may like help that efficiency level because you, yeah, you are being it's efficient. Awesome. Honestly, I think that that's the best takeaway from this global pandemic is that mm -hmm. so many industries have had to adjust and change their ways and just be more flexible with their employees and their artists and i think that there is a lot more uh a lot more attention paid and given to the the health of the entire company including the artists you know from mental health through to like making sure people are comfortable mm -hmm. companies making sure that when they are working from home they have everything they need mm -hmm. dnx been amazing for that um and it's just great it feels like you know this is kind of this weird 
utopia that people imagined like 10, 20 years ago and now, now we're living it. Even though the state of the world's kind of crazy right now, there's there's some takeaways that have been kind of positive. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think there's a lot of lessons we learned, and it was almost like a, like I said, a happy accident that yeah. this happened, where you were forced to work from all. Mm. But now that everyone's like, wait, this is actually really nice. Mm. Wait, we can pay our employees to work from home yeah. and save rent in our studios. Wait, we can do all this stuff without having to eat them yeah. and I think that's also a testament to technology being able to be capable of supporting that system yeah, right sure. because like if that happened a global pandemic happened in like 2008 I, I would argue they wouldn't do that they wouldn't do it it would be pretty difficult but it would be like, so hard when I connect in remotely it's it's lightning fast my yeah. internet connection at home is not even that great yeah. but I've got real-time feedback and you know, if I need to check on the status of my work, if it's been rendering or simulating for several hours, mm-hmm. I I don't feel like, oh, I need to go into the office and check on things. Mm-hmm. It takes one or two minutes on my computer to just yeah. log in quickly. Cool, everything's all good. In my morning meeting, I'm not going to be freaking yeah. out because it's all broken. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that there is just a lot of a lot of takeaways that are really good. And I've heard from management as well that, like, artists are just doing really well in general yeah. because there's less mess ups like yeah. people are making less mistakes it, or perhaps they're making the same amount of mistakes but their mistakes are getting caught faster because mm-hmm. we do have that access and yeah. it's strange because you would think that you would make more mistakes isolating everyone mm-hmm. uh, but I suppose it was ever, it's up to each individual person to go you know what I, I need someone to double check this right Doing that over Zoom call, it's not the best. Mm-hmm. I really like sitting at a desk with someone. Mm-hmm. I feel like you learn better when you have a physical human next to you yeah. helping you. Mm-hmm. So, so I kind of miss that sometimes. Yeah, That's but what I loved about teaching here. I think there's one danger that Mata, I think is important to address though about work from home style, right? Is that work from home, I think, can be a con when you aren't able to differentiate work in a home. Like if that yeah. makes sense. Like because your office that you usually just sit at and watch videos on or edit on your personal project is now your work home, your office, your actual station. Yeah. So has there, have you discovered any of that challenges? Like not being able to differentiate is like a work time or uh, my casual time or like my home is now my office. Like was there a diff- difficult time during that period? I, I think that I would like in the next place that I get to get a, an extra room for mm-hmm. my office space right now on my desk. It's pretty comfy. It's a good setup, but it is my, my living room is directly behind me. Right. So if I'm chilling, I have some friends over, whatever. There is a weird elephant in the room for me personally of, oh, that's where I sit all day. And I and if I'm if I'm it's it's good and bad because on a good day where I want to check my stuff and I'm excited about the effect I'm doing. I'll log on quickly and go, oh, awesome, it's working, oh, oh crap, okay, I need to fix this. Mm-hmm. Really quick fix, send it off, okay, I can rest tonight knowing that it's gonna be all good. Right. But then on the flip side, there is like, maybe maybe there's no need to check anything and I need to mm-hmm. completely switch off and I'm like, well, it's only gonna take two minutes and yeah. it's right there. You know, I almost feel like the perfect scenario would be to have that spare room mm-hmm. and or you almost lock up your office yeah. when you leave. That would be ideal mm-hmm. because then you have to consciously go, okay, I gotta get a key, mm-hmm. lock, lock like enter my workspace Mm -hmm. so yeah for sure i think that it's gonna change the way that i look at housing in future Mm -hmm. i'm gonna probably 
try I'm a pretty minimalist guy and I like to have a small space but now that I'm working from home it's it's a whole lot smaller yeah I do think a lot of people are more keen on finding offices at home, like yeah. a den or something yeah. because it is becoming at least in our industry like it's becoming like a very big want or a, a yeah. big almost a necessity because like yep. it, it's a necessity in terms of mere mental health because uh -huh. being able to switch off is so important but one of the problems that happens is work is from home and you have your workstation next to a place that you actually decompress at, yeah. like whether it's your bedroom or your living room. It's like, I can't switch off because I'm, I'm seeing work right there and I yeah. have this, this need that I need to go check it or I have to keep working because it's right there. It's almost like you can't escape it because yeah. like when I leave work here, I'm, I'm done. Like yeah. I don't really care about it. but when I do work from home, I'm like, okay, this is always here, right? Yeah, you know, and, and it's strange. I, I'm pretty outgoing and active. Mm -hmm. Like, I climb a lot, and I like to see friends. Mm -hmm. and last night I went to Kitts Beach, and now the weather's nice, especially. So there's this, this very strange disconnect, and it's not even a bad thing between me and my partner right now, because mm -hmm. she works at the veterinary clinic. She's on her feet 10 hours a day. Yeah. She, she does long days, and she's just moving all day. So she gets home 6 p.m., she wants to lie down, relax, let her body rest after mm -hmm. 10 hours straight of moving. I finished at the same time at six and I've hardly moved. <laughs> so I'm like, whether, usually I'll go climbing almost every other night. And so that's good. Just forces me to go to the gym, mm -hmm. get there, do a little workout. But um, it's been weird to sort of have this awareness surrounding like at different levels. Yeah. And it's kind of cool because she gets her space and her alone time and I go out and I get to hang out with my friends and, and get my social, you know, cup refilled and she gets her sort of the opposite, like, and it kind of just works out really nicely. Ever since, ever since I started. Yeah. Sorry about that, but those wow. listening. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a random trash can or a trash car. But yeah, it's been interesting just because like, I, didn't, I didn't really ever think that. And it's not, not something you foresee, but it's got its benefits. I suppose like with anything, it's all about how you respond to the situation and try and make the best out of the situation. Right. Some couples perhaps would be really upset with that disconnect. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, you always want to go out and I always want to relax. And whenever on the same page, mm -hmm. you know, for me, it's like it's been really great because uh, she he really really loves the alone time where she just gets to lie down and veg out right right listen to Johnny Depp and Amber Heard <laughs> and, and I get to go climbing and maybe go for a beer at a brewery and, yeah. and you know I, even if I come home at midnight or whatever like it, there's not this sort of where have you been I wanted to hang out with you yeah. it's more like oh thank god we had that time for ourselves exactly and it's just like I mean that's a unique situation where it works out for us but mm -hmm. I guess it all depends on you know how you respond to the situation you find yourself in I think health is really important well, I mean, you are an office. Yeah, and you're still yeah, you hardly move, just you, this all day almost. You're just doing your keyboard, or you move your mouse, you're looking at a screen all day, probably in a dark room or something like that. Yeah. It is pretty important to make sure you have that balance. So to end this podcast, this episode, which has been amazing so far, um, what is one advice you can give somebody? I mean, you're, you're just newly entered into the industry, so I feel like you might have a really good take on an advice that you might have, or maybe something that you've learned just in your short period of time that you now look back and think, I can't believe that's what I used to think, or uh, it's actually free thought or something like that, you know? I think that anyone that wants to 
is passionate, likes visual effects, is, is curious about visual effects and is perhaps pursuing a career. Is that, that's kind of your question, yeah. right? My advice would probably be to find something, whether it's one shot, whether it's a sequence, whether it's an entire movie, find something that really, really inspires you and just try and figure out how they did it. And, and I'm not necessarily saying open the software and recreate it. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of saying like, wow, how the hell did they make that cool fractal effect in Doctor Strange? Probably there's some resources online for how they did that. Oh, they use this software. Maybe I'm going to see if there's a really be nice beginner's tutorial for that software because there's probably close to 100 pieces of software that is mm -hmm. used for a movie. And that can be really, really overbearing and you get this sort of like decision fatigue where it's like, whoa, man, I don't know what any of them are. What if I suck at all of them? What if only one of them works for me? But I think at the end of the day, you've got to serve yourself best if you stick with something that inspires you. Like I said earlier, when I've got a shot or a series of shots that I'm really, really into, it doesn't feel like work at all. Mm -hmm. It just feels like, oh my God, I'm so lucky to be in this position, to be able to do something that inspires me so much. And if you think you want to be like a 3D modeler and like that's just an idea you got in your head because maybe you saw some cool aliens and you're like, I want to make them. Right. But maybe what, what you didn't realize is you, what you really enjoyed is, you know, this, the, all the textures on the alien or mm. all of the cool fire coming out of its mouth. Right. Try and break down what you're actually seeing in, in the movie or TV show or whatever is inspiring you. And I guess just follow that rabbit hole until you figure out, eventually you'll find, okay, I'm seeing a lot of the, the word Houdini or nuke compositing mm -hmm. or these buzzwords and maybe I should figure out what that software entails and, right. and what I could do to try and steer myself in this direction because it is so highly specialized. Yeah, because there's that, like you said, there's so many layers to it that what you might actually be seeing in the surface level is not what you actually want or or actually interested in. Mm. I don't want to be a mauler. Wait, no, I actually want to be a texture artist. Yeah. Oh, wait, I want to be uh, animation. Oh, I want to be a rigger. Like, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Uh, the rigging it or uh, stuff like that so there is that layers that i think is a great advice for people yeah, yeah. and and you know you got to also accept the fact that you're going to do stuff uh, that you think you love and actually you might hate it yeah some, some people <laughs> take who, the jump man yeah <laughs> some people who see giant explosions and then they learn that that was done in houdini they open mm -hmm. houdini and they realize it's all maths and they hate maths yeah and maybe that what they want to do is uh end up being a concept artist that yeah. paints the explosions in a very organic non-mathematical yeah, yeah, way yeah. so it's sort of like you got to try and whatever you whatever whatever you do just follow your passion and follow what inspires you mm -hmm. because at the end of the day that's that's going to lead you to a success right because well, with the flow yeah <laughs> follow it's your notes true. all right man hey this has been really fun i hope i can have you again because i mean yeah it's so just more organic to be able to talk to you right it's sure we used to do it every day yeah literally so that's gonna be it for the vfx lounge episode for episode two we're gonna have weekly podcasts as much as we can uh if you guys enjoyed it make sure to like the no it's follow right it's follow on spotify like follow so. subscribe do it all <laughs> so yeah thank you guys so much for listening and i'll see you guys in the next episode say bye bye